Bet you expected to see a Wrangler or like a, a Western guy, right? Just, just little old me. Well, friends, hey, it's great to be with you. Uh, we're in this amazing series, uh, Christianity for the Curious, the Cautious, and the Confused. And the reality is, when it comes to Christianity or church or faith, there is a lot of confusion and, um, and, and caution when it comes to that. Th- there's a lot of confusion because if you think about something as grand as God and mankind coming together and and Every, and, and just religion in general, that's a pretty complicated issue, right? Most of us struggle during COVID teaching our kids math, right? So when it comes to a topic like this, so lofty, it, it makes sense that there's a lot, a lot of confusion. And there's a lot of caution involved because as you wade into something like, like that, uh, you don't know what you're getting into. And, um, and w- early, early on in my life, I was afraid of like getting involved in something weird, like accidentally, like like accidentally joining a cult, right? Um, which, don't worry, we're not that. But it's possible, right? As you wade into something unknown. So there, there's a degree of confusion and caution involved in this. And even for us as pastors, there is. Uh, I didn't grow up thinking I'd be a pastor. I was not nominated most likely to be a pastor in my high school yearbook. Right? Matter of fact, my, my journey was actually a lot like yours. I, I, I came to church, I became a Christian, that's a whole different story into itself. But I was sitting in your seat, and somebody from the stage said the best way to grow spiritually is to get plugged in, is to actually serve in some capacity. So I took that to heart, and I got involved working with students. And I liked it, as students were edgy and, and fun to hang out with. But after a while, what I really loved about it was being in the midst of them asking these amazing questions and coming uh, close to God in their pursuit. And for me to have a front row seat for that to happen, it was really cool. And then years later, God said, do you want to do this for a living? I, I want you to become a pastor. And I didn't like the idea of it. Uh, I didn't really like have that on my life trajectory. I was supposed to play drums in a rock band, right? So it was like, not really in the plans, God. But, but I took the invitation and my, my earliest um, uh, ministry experience was I was, I was on a, a team to plant or to launch a brand new church. And truthfully, it was probably the most fun I've ever had in ministry because it was a blank slate. Like we got to simply pray and do what God wanted us to, uh, to do and create something out of nothing with God. It was such a great adventure. And in the midst of that, we, we met all kinds of people that were looking for, for God or wanted to be a part of something new. And I remember this one conversation I had with this guy. Um, he was a, a father, two, two daughters in, in, in my, in my uh, youth, youth group. And, and he asked me to breakfast. And, and we, we had a, a great a great time hearing each other's stories, kind of our backgrounds, where we came from. And then as we were leaving, he turned and said, look, uh, bottom line, this is what I'm looking for from you. Um, I'd like you to help us keep our daughters on the right path, uh, to help them make good choices, to help them hang out with the right people, stay sexually pure, and truthfully just kind of set them on the trajectory to get into a good college. Okay, so... Put yourself in my situation. How would you have responded? What's welling up inside of you when I frame that situation? Now, there's a lot of 
unknowns when it comes to Christianity and faith. And in this series, we're going to unpack those things together. Like fake news, there's a lot of assumptions that we have uh, or simply things that we haven't actually talked about that, that feed into that. So we're kind of kind of hitting the tick list of those in this series to help you and to help us be on the same page. So last week, Pastor Matt unpacked the question, why Jesus came. Today, we're looking at what Christianity is about. Next week, why we believe the Bible is the source of truth, the nature of God the following week, the nature of man or humankind the next week, and then what is the Christian life? And this series is for all of us. If you're new to Christianity, or maybe you've been kind of going to church for a while and you see that list and you're like, I don't know all those answers. Fantastic. Like we're going to unpack those together in a practical way for you to discern truth together and uh, to come to your conclusions of, of trusting in faith and walking with God. For those of us who might have been walking with God for a while and you saw that list and you, in all honesty, said, I don't know if I could answer those correctly myself. This series is for you because the reality is, as a church, it's our desire to equip you to go out and, and to, um, to share Jesus in the trenches of real life. Matter of fact, it's more effective for you to sit across the table with a cup of coffee or a beer and have a conversation with someone about God rather than you just encourage them, go to church and talk to a pastor. You're their friend. You're the person they trust. So we don't want to short circuit that and hurt you in the process. So in my, my uh, uh, a se a season as a, a pastor, I've, I've, I've witnessed tons of situations where people come into the church with various expectations. Uh, sometimes they come to church at a low point and they're looking for a handout or a sympathetic ear. But the reality is in a lot of these situations, once people get out of the initial crisis, they're gone. Like there's, there's not an actual desire to change and to set a new trajectory for their life. It's kind of like a God is a genie in the bottle and I come to church to rub the, the bottle and to get my wish granted. For others, the church is there to support their pet social justice or political uh, uh, view. They come to church and they have the expectation that the church is in alignment wholly with what they want, and they want the church to fly their flag. And for this group, uh, the church is ultimately uh, um, a pawn to have their will done and to see things as they want it to happen. And finally, there's others that come to church um, for moral training for their kids or for a program of some kind. Overall, this is good stuff, but it's a, primarily a consumeristic way of looking at the church. And the reality is most all of us, all of us come to church with our, our own expectations, right? We have a picture in our mind of what we're looking for. When I became a Christian at 20 years old, like it was God and girls, right? Like the church had good girls. Oh, come on guys, I'm not that odd, right? Right? Like we all, we all had our, 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 our things. And the beauty is God meets us there. God meets you and I where we come, but he doesn't want us to stay there. And the reason why is because he actually has so much more in store for us than we do. And if we cling to our list of desires and expectations, we're ultimately going to lose. So we're going to unpack today what the actual invitation of Christianity is. And the outline that I'm going to follow is super simple. We're going to look at the promise, what God actually offers us, 
the problem, why many people miss it, and then finally the prescription, how we can realign our lives with God's invitation to experience what he longs to give us. And to answer this, we're going to look at the very words of Jesus through this entire message. Uh, Christianity is, is Jesus's organization. It's named after him. He built it. And so there, there, there's no better person to have to explain it than Jesus himself. So, so we're going to begin with promise. So Jesus was a rabbi. He was a spiritual leader, a teacher, and he mentored people. And I always half-jokingly tell people, as rabbis go, Jesus was a terrible rabbi because he did it his way. He broke religious rules. He didn't teach very often in, in synagogues and churches. Um, and he typically gave messages um, in fields and on beaches and in the homes and in the company of sinful people, the broken people, the outcasts. Um, but the beauty of what Jesus did is those outcasts that he spent his time with, they felt seen, they felt valued, and they felt loved. See, he, he, he wasn't a traditional rabbi, but he was the best rabbi ever because he actually accomplished what God has always wanted people to experience was reunion with him. So unpacking the promise, I'm gonna, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at three scenes in the life of Jesus. And the first one is pretty early in his ministry, and Jesus actually went to a synagogue in, in this setting. And the, the typical practice was if a rabbi showed up, you, they, uh, they, they, would, they would hand them a, a scroll and let them read it and give commentary to it, like uh, an opportunity to teach. So in that setting, we pick up in Luke 4, and it says this, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So if you picture the scene, Jesus read this, which was common. Any rabbi would do that. And then he went and sat down. And the only commentary he added to it was this. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically saying... With, with absolute clarity, I came to fulfill this. I came to give you what God has promised for decades to deliver to you. I'm your deliverer. So what specifically did Jesus offer people? He offered him two things specifically in this passage that I want to pull out. The first is he, he promised us liberation, that he would bring liberation. And what that means basically is all of us have our baggage. Uh, whether it's depression or anger or uh, you name it in our culture. Like we, we, we know these things, right? But, and everybody has something. And Jesus says, I came to liberate you from that, to restore you out of that. And the second thing he promised is restoration, that he would provide restoration, that whatever that baggage was that has wounded us or, or weighed us down for our life, Jesus says, I'm not just removing it. I'm actually going to heal that part inside of you that that wound caused. 
I'm going to make it all brand new again. So scene two is this. And it's a scene where, uh, where uh, people, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people about just, just the reality of their life. And like us, they lived with a lot of pressure. The daily life was a grind. Um, just uh, pressures of, of work and family and culture and all of that. On top of that, they had people that were constantly um, offering them, political leaders or social leaders, that they'll give them freedom and hope if they'll follow them. Has anybody checked their mail in the last two weeks? Oh my gosh, right? It's a nightmare. All these, pick the right word here, James, all these people that are promising us that if we follow them, that they're going to make it all better, Right? And we know how this works. Like, it doesn't matter who's at the wheel, human speaking, like, it's going to fail. Okay, spoiler alert. Then what Jesus says to these people is this in John 10. He says, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So what's the promise? Jesus promised that we may have life and have it abundantly. He's contrasting poor leadership and poor promises in the past that always let people down and says, if you follow me, I'll introduce you to a new rhythm, a new way of living that actually leads to true living and abundancy. Our final scene to unpack this promise is a setting where Jesus is actually talking to people about about the problem of religion. And the reality is for a lot of people, religion is a list of do's and don'ts in order to become a better person or to please God. If you look at any other religious system other than Christianity, uh, really it all boils down to a bunch of check boxes that you need to live this way in order to please a deity of some kind. Now, religious activity can bear really good fruit in our lives, right? Um, it, it, it does some good things, but oftentimes it burns people out And it's possible that years down the road, they look back and say, I I don't know if I actually know God any better. I might be a better person by some standard, but I don't know if I'm actually a more spiritual person. And it's to these people that Jesus in Matthew 11 says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, to people who are burned out, worn out, and just about ready to check out, uh, Jesus offers a different way, a way of following him and rediscovering a new rhythm, a new way to live, where you don't abandon your work, you don't abandon responsibilities, but you, you stack things in a way that it actually feels restful. That it's a sustainable way of living a life of purpose with God. 
So let's pencil out this promise and understand together what Jesus is actually offering to us. And it looks like this. First, liberation, that Jesus promises to set us free from bondage. Second, restoration. He promises to heal our brokenness. Third, abundance, to give us a life of purpose. And fourth, rest, to renew our weary souls. And if we boil those down into one word, it would simply be flourishing. That Jesus came and the invitation of Christianity is that you and I would flourish. That we would, we would thrive and actually be restored back into what God created humankind to experience all along. See, uh, that's what the, the story of the Bible tells us. In the very beginning, Genesis 1, it tells of Adam and Eve, and they, they were created in this beautiful garden. They were in relationship with God, and they had jobs to do. But it was joyful because they were connected to God, and everything they put their hands to had meaning and purpose. Amazing story. Problem is, it lasted two chapters, because in the third chapter of the Bible, everything fell off the rails, and we chose to become our own God and make our own choices. And the bulk of the Bible from there until Jesus is the story of the unraveling of humanity. On our side of the story, there's that. On God's side of the story, he's planning this rescue mission. There's things going on behind the scenes where God is planning to storm the beaches and, and save us. And that's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus came to restore us to what God created us for and to flourish. Okay, so that's the promise. That's what God has offered to us. The second thing we're going to look at is the problem. And unfortunately, there is a problem, and it's this. If flourishing is the actual invitation of Christianity, why do many people not experience it? Let me say it again so we hear it clearly. If flourishing is the actual invitation of Christianity, why do so many people not experience it? Now, on the surface, I think a lot of people don't experience it because they don't experience it. And that sounds like a stupid statement, but what I mean is this. A lot of people might have a loose idea of what happens within the walls of the church or what Christians do, um, but they probably don't. They, they go to a wedding here or a funeral there or maybe a Christmas Eve service during the season, but they don't actually know what the invitation of Christianity is and definitely haven't waited in and experienced it, right? A kind, of, kind of a drive-by experience. For others, they might lean in and actually go to church, but they do it cautiously. And I think rightly so. I mean, let's face it, the, the church has had a PR problem for, for a long time, right? Mainly because we're part of the equation, right? There's been a lot of things that have happened over the years and under the banner of organized religion that has been really bad stuff. I mean, everything from the Crusades to the Moral Majority and Christian Coalition of the 80s, um, to Hillsborough Baptist Church, um, Westboro, sorry, I always mix that up. Hillsboro is probably a really good church, okay. <laughs> sorry, guys, all right, nothing against you. But the other guys are weird, right? And they do some horrible things. And then it seems like, it seems like any time there's a news story that has anything to do with faith and like CNN or somebody puts a camera on somebody, have you noticed it's always this uh, nut job like from the, the shallow end of our pool? Like it's somebody that's the voice for Christianity that I've never heard of. And what comes out of their mouth is usually like, oh my gosh, that doesn't represent anybody I know, right? 
but that's who gets on TV. So there's a lot of people that see that and they might come to church, might hear a sermon here and there, might send their kids to Sunday school, but they do it pretty cautiously. And they kind of always have their thumb on the ejection button in case it gets weird. And I totally get it, right? There's, there's a, a good reason to be cautious and to be wise as you wade into those things. For another group of people, and probably the one I'm most deeply concerned about is the people that come to a church, but the church didn't, didn't specifically deliver what they want. And what I mean is it looks like this. Uh, they come to church because they're shopping for something very specific. If the church delivers that, they stay. If the church does not deliver that, they go to another church or they check out and say that Christianity didn't really work for them. And the problem I have with that is that rather than wading in and being transformed by what God invites us into, they actually um, want to drive their own experience. They're, uh, they're not actually seeing what Christianity is offering or what the local church is offering. They're just saying, this is what I want you to deliver, and if you don't deliver it, we're out. And that's transactional, right? It's a vending machine. It's not anything that's going to transform your life. I think of the story that I opened with, with the father and his daughters, right? Super cool guy. Like, I liked everything about him. But the, the wrestle that I had was everything he wanted was far lower than what God wanted for his daughters and what our church actually wanted to offer to them. See, what he was looking for was moral training and the trajectory of his daughters so that he could ultimately still be in control, right? And he was looking for a pastor to help him do that. And I remember my response to him in that moment when he was kind of telling me what he wanted and something inside of me was like, this just isn't right. And uh, I just said, look, everything you desire is really good. I said, here's the problem. Um, everything that you're looking for is actually the fruit or a byproduct of your daughter's knowing God. And it's our desire, and as a pastor, it's my, my invitation to you is, is I want to help students come to know and love Jesus. And if they do, I have confidence that they will make decisions in their future that both honor God and actually set them on the right path. But if they don't know God first, and if we just focus on, on, on their uh, friend group or, or moral decisions, all you're going to make is a religious person, and that will not sustain into the future. So I basically laid, laid the cards on the table. Our church exists to introduce people to Jesus, not just for moral training. And if you want, want to participate, I, I'd love to walk with you, your kids into the future. And they did. And they're, they're, their kids are amazing people today um, as a result of that. One of humanity's greatest struggles is for control, right? We all love to be in control. And as Americans, I think it's even heralded as a virtue. This fierce independence is not only something to aspire to, but we celebrate it, right? And it sounds innocent enough, and at some levels, being able to stand up for yourself and, and on your own is a really good thing. But when it comes to God, um, it puts us in a really dangerous place because my fear is that we might miss out on the very best thing that God actually wants to give to us. We might give God a list of our demands, and we, and, and we miss out on the best thing that he has to offer. 
Author A.W. Tozer says this. He says, in our desire after God, let us keep always in mind that God also has desire. And his desire is towards the sons and daughters and more particularly toward those who will make the once for all decision to exalt him over all. Such as these are precious to God above all treasures of earth or sea. In them, God finds a theater where he can display his exceeding kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. With them, God can walk unhindered. Toward them, he can act like the God he is. Gosh, it just blows my mind. What an invitation. What an invitation. That God says, let's use your life as a canvas for me to display my goodness. Let's do that together. Who in their right mind would refuse that, right? It's such a beautiful invitation to experience the very best of God. And the problem is if we insist on defining and demanding what flourishing looks like, we lose. And we tend to come to God like impetuous children, like, like a, a tell, uh, telling parents what they want. Or at worst, we're actually still a rebel demanding that God surrenders to our will. And either way, we are the losers. We miss out. In Matthew 5, uh, Jesus shares the Beatitudes, a pretty famous section of scripture. And in this passage, he shares um, all these situations where people are blessed or they're flourishing. And he, he uh, shares things like, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Um, and, and, and this list just goes on. Um, poor in spirit, mourning, the meek, the hungry. None of those are states that any of us would, would ask for, right? God, let me be hungry. Let me be persecuted, God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's on my short list. But what Jesus teaches us in the Beatitudes is that when we surrender our will to God's, whatever we find ourselves in, we'll, we actually will be blessed because we get to receive what God ultimately wants to give us. And it pans out like this. See, the poor in spirit, they receive the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they are comforted by God. The meek, the quiet, the gentle ones, they inherit the earth, everything they truly need. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, God satisfies them. The merciful receive mercy. And the pure in heart, they see God. See, God wants you to flourish, and there's a really good chance that if we insist on setting our expectation for flourishing, that we're going to miss out on the very best that he wants to give to us. Over the years, I've, I've walked with many people in some super hard life circumstances, divorce, death of loved ones, job loss, illness, and repeatedly, what, what has just staggered me is in, in all these situations, that though it's a hard season that they would have never asked for, they experience the presence of God and his healing, his restoration, his abundance, and his rest in a way that most of us would, would, would even dream of. They would have never chosen this path, but it ends up being the greatest thing for them. I think of, 
of like the, a medical field and, and like an oncologist, right? Like if, if you were diagnosed with cancer and um, for most of us, I don't know about you, but if I go to the doctor's office, like I'm always like really eager for like, like, okay, just do this stretch like two times a day and you'll be better, right? Or like take this pill twice and you'll be, right? Like, like I love bippity boppity boot medicine, right? That'd be awesome. But it doesn't work that way. And you wouldn't want an oncologist that said, said, yeah, just do that stretch and let's see how it goes. The reality is an oncologist says, look, I looked at the whole scenario. This is what's going on. And this is what we have to do. I'm in your corner and uh, we're going we're gonna to fight together, but this is what it's going to look like. And I share that because that's really how God deals with our brokenness. See, a lot of times we want what's just on the surface, and we're begging God, just give me this and it'll all be get better. And God says, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Uh, we got to get to the root. We got to go deep and heal this at the deepest level. And I'm a really good doctor, and we can do this. And that's what God is inviting us into. That's what he wants to do in all of our lives. The other amazing thing that I've seen over and over again is people that walk that road and let God be that God in their life um, consistently. Um, on the back end of it, they flourish in a way that they never expected. They walk the hard road and then they're actually in a position where God uses them as a mouthpiece for comfort and healing. And I've heard people say, James, I, I wouldn't ask for what happened to me or to our family, but I see God over and over again bless others through it. And uh, gosh, I get a front row seat every time that happens. It's amazing. They wouldn't ask for it, but they flourish because of it. So let's make it personal. Um, is there a struggle or is there a lack of joy or purpose in your life that's possibly due to you wrestling with God for control? I, I ask myself that question at least a couple times a week because I can, I'm a pretty big guy and I'm pretty determined and God laughs at me, <laughs> right? Because he's like, you're not that big, right? And I, I have to constantly put things back on the table and trust God over and over again. But I think it's easy in all of our lives to do that. So what about you? What aspect of life is the greatest struggle for you these days? Do you have a picture of what resolution should look like in that situation? Are you asking God to resolve it in a specific way, your way? And if it doesn't pan out the way you want, how will that affect you or your view of God? The big idea is this. We need to allow God to divine, define and provide what restoration, healing, freedom, and abundance and rest look like. We flourish when we let God be God in our lives. That's the way it's designed to work. And we will struggle day in and day out if we don't get that part of the equation right. So we're going to close with prescription. Uh, how can we realign our lives and our hearts to experience what God actually longs to give to us? 
And the big idea is this. We need to come to Jesus and with open hands and open hearts to allow him to give us what we ultimately need. That's faith. And that's what it means to trust God, is to come to God and say, you're God, I'm not. What do you want to do in my life? It's humble surrender to God and submission to his plans and his will. In John 15, uh, Jesus shares uh, really easily about this. And, and, and his, his explanation is the analogy of, of a bush and there's vine and branches. And he basically says, I'm the vine, God, you, you guys are the branches. Branches that get cut off die, <laughs> right? Branches that stay in the vine live. So you need to stay connected to me in order to thrive and prosper. And that is critical for you and I to experience what God has promised us. So what does it mean to remain in the vine and, and, and to live that way with God? And in Matthew 13, Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what, what these parables teach us is that once we discover this pearl of great value, this invitation of God, we sell the temporal in order to take hold of the eternal. And truthfully, um, a lot of people use this to talk about possessions and valuing God above all those things. That's part of it. But the most important thing for you to actually sell in order to receive this from God is your pride. Is to let go of our obsession of control. To sell that and to humbly come to God and let him give us what he wants to give us. Again, that quote from A.W. Tozer, in them, God finds a theater where he can display his exceeding kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. With them, God can walk unhindered. Toward them, he can act like the God he is. And that's what God's invited us to. That is the invitation of Christianity. That you would flourish under the authority and the, the, the goodness of God. So I'd like to close our time uh, before, before we move to communion and, and music and lead us in a, a super simple little prayer. So uh, years ago, I discovered this prayer by a guy named St. Ignatius. Uh, he's an old dead guy. Um, but I get to meet him in heaven, which is really cool, right? But he had this prayer that I found called the prayer of indifference. And what it means is praying to be indifferent or neutral to anything but the will of God. And the wisdom of that prayer, which blew my mind when I discovered it, was I'm really good at BSing myself, right? And you probably are too. I can convince myself that, oh God, I just want this for your good, right? And it, come on, it's like, it's really about me. So this prayer forces me to say, God, I don't want anything but what you want. And let me die to those parts of me that are still trying to hold on to be in control. So I'm gonna pray that prayer and uh, invite you in your heart to join in. God, I thank you for this invitation to flourish, 
Jesus, I thank you that you laid down your life, that you died in order to restore us to all that our heavenly father created us to enjoy. And in this moment, we pray that you would make our hearts indifferent to anything but your best. God, we acknowledge that anything else that we put up there as success that we're striving for or that we're quietly or loudly demanding of you is actually toxic for us. And we want to lean in to your goodness and receive from you what you ultimately want to give us, which is the very best thing for us. So in humility and maybe a little bit of fear, God, we ask you to make us indifferent to anything but what you would desire in our lives. And give us eyes to see it and give us hearts of faith to respond and to receive those things from you as we walk with you in humble submission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for some of you, uh, this, is, this is brand new news and that's fantastic. And my encouragement is that journey begins with Jesus. You got to investigate who he is. And we would love to help you in that process. Uh, it, it's uh, super easy. At any time, you can text the keyword Jesus to 720-513-1933. Just text us and someone will respond to you. But uh, we're not pushy. We're not going to drive the process. We just want to help you and kind of point you in the right direction to read or listen to the right things for you to unpack uh, truth for yourself in, in the midst of that. We always close our service by taking communion and singing of the goodness of God together. Those, for people who know Jesus, uh, those are right responses that we celebrate, that we receive because Jesus laid down. Jesus gave so that we could receive. Jesus allowed his body on the cross to be torn to shreds and for him to ultimately bleed out and die in order for us to receive the life that we have. So we strangely but beautifully, we do this in celebration because that was necessary to restore what we need. So we eat this in celebration of Jesus. And the juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made. We drink this in celebration of that great work. Friends, we're gonna sing now of the, the goodness of this Jesus that came and set us free. At any time during our musical worship time, if you would like to receive prayer from someone, you can always come over here to this prayer banner. There's a super nice people over there who would be honored to pray about anything going on in your life. For our, our friends online, uh, you can just uh, click in the, tra- the, 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 the chat and they'll pray with you in that context. So let's stand together. Let's sing boldly of the goodness of God as we sing together. Here we go.